Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Tuesday, the 27th of July. Tom Tilly with you, joined by Annika Smethurst. And Annika, will you be more excited by the end of lockdown in Melbourne today or more Olympic gold? I hate to say it, but probably more Olympic gold. That's only because whilst we're coming out of lockdown, it feels like in name only. There's still going to be a lot of restrictions down here, so... A lot of time to watch the Olympics. <laughs> well, it's good we've got it right now, especially for people in, in New South Wales who face a very long lockdown, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Also on today's briefing, we'll talk about a man you haven't heard about for a while, maybe you like it that way, but he was back in the public eye last month saying this. A number, a year that I look very much forward to, 2024. So could Donald Trump reclaim the White House. He has a number of exposures in terms of his business and some of the things that he did while he was president. And he did not try to pardon himself before he left office. So he is still vulnerable to criminal charges or certainly to civil cases. Yeah, it still could get messy with Trump, but could you really rule out a comeback? That is our briefing today. First, here are the big headlines. Victoria and South Australia are set to end their lockdowns tonight, but restrictions on gatherings and masks will remain in place. Victorian leaders and health officials are set to meet this morning to confirm the final details, but the Health Minister Martin Foley said they were happy to see that all of the recent local cases were in isolation for their entire infectious period. We just did clearly take some comfort from the fact that over the weekend, the 22 locally acquired cases had all been quarantining for the entirety of their infectious period. News Corp and my paper The Age are reporting that from midnight, Victoria's five kilometre travel limit will be scrapped and restaurants will be allowed to reopen, but masks will remain mandatory indoors and outdoors and home visits will probably still be banned. And South Australia's lockdown is also expected to end at midnight as long as there are no new unlinked cases uncovered today. Schools and retail will be allowed to reopen, but masks will also remain compulsory in public high-risk spaces and the state governments encourage South Australians to keep working from home. So this is a really interesting moment in these recent Delta outbreaks, Annika. Very few cities have been able to quash a Delta outbreak, um, particularly like Melbourne has, which got a little bit bigger than the South Australian one. What do you make of Victoria's progress? Yeah, they're really proud of it too. Whenever you go to a press conference, they're constantly reminding you they're the only jurisdiction in the world to beat Delta once. And technically, this will be twice. Look, there are still cases, but all of them are isolating. So none in the community, which is what they were aiming for. Most epidemiologists see this as, you know, a great win, but it's now about keeping it out. So I think what we'll see today from Victoria, at least, is tighter border restrictions than we've already got. Now, we're already not allowing residents back in, those people that got stuck out of the state, but the health authorities say that'll be key to making sure we don't end up in another lockdown. Yeah, well, that's the, I guess, challenging part of this strategy. It's good to quash it now, but how quickly do you end up in another lockdown again? That is the question. Obviously, those border restrictions will have a lot to do with it. New South Wales police are warning anyone thinking about joining a second anti-lockdown protest to think again. Can I just put this warning out now to everyone? We will be heavily policed. We will be taking the ground very early. You will be arrested. State Police Commissioner Mick Fuller speaking there. The Commissioner says police were aware of discussions on social media about a follow-up protest taking place in Sydney this weekend. 
Yeah, they say they've received 10,000 tip-offs from the public. Obviously, a lot of people aren't too happy uh, with this idea. They're also continuing to issue fines and court notices to people involved in Saturday's protest. And they say the operation to track down those involved with the protest is their biggest since the 2005 Cronulla riots. Um, So 145 new cases in New South Wales uh, yesterday still not looking good. And uh, this lockdown was supposed to end at the end of the week, but it's obviously not going to happen. And um, what the New South Wales government is saying is that they might have to go even harder in some areas, but they might ease restrictions in others. Federal government ministers will have to attend training sessions on sexual harassment and will be named and shamed if they don't go under new rules for politicians. Prime Minister's made it clear that he expects all his ministers to undertake the training. Uh, If that's an expectation the Prime Minister places upon minister, uh, then it is uh, a requirement in terms of continuing to serve as a minister. That's the Finance Minister Simon Birmingham speaking there. The training's one of 10 recommendations made by Deputy Secretary of Prime Minister's Department, Stephanie Foster, in her review into Parliament's workplace culture. Now, the training won't be compulsory for backbenchers, but another key recommendation that will be adopted is the setting up of an independent complaints body to handle these serious allegations. Brittany Higgins responded on Twitter yesterday saying she was so pleased to hear all 10 recommendations would be adopted, especially that last one. There were three other reviews launched in the wake of the Brittany Higgins story, Tom. Now, probably the one we're all waiting for, the most broad one, is by Kate Jenkins. Now, she's the Sexual Discrimination Commissioner. She's not due to report until November. Her inquiry is looking, I guess, at years of evidence of people that have worked in Parliament House, about the culture there. And that's the one we're really expecting to, I guess, shake things up. And what did you make of the news from yesterday? It sounds like Foster's recommendation to set up an independent complaints body would make some kind of difference because the real problem at the heart of the Brittany Higgins story was the way um, the minister at the time's office dealt with her complaint. Yeah, I'm hesitant when anyone talks about cultural change because it's very hard for someone to come in and do a report and think that that will happen overnight. That's a generational thing. It's good to get started. I'm glad they're going to do some training. But what they really needed was something tangible and that is a complaints process. A lot of staff there, it's not a normal workplace. You're, you can be hired and fired in very different circumstances to people and the protections that you would have if you're in the rest of the public service. So I think that's a really important breakthrough. And Aussie swimming star Ariane Titmus is preparing to face off against American Katie Ledecky again after beating her in the 400 metres freestyle yesterday. The two will race again today in the 200 metres freestyle semi-final. They'll also race in the 800 metres freestyle and the 4x200 metres relay on Thursday. So get some more popcorn ready for the race and, of course, her now famous coach, Tom. <laughs> yeah, love that guy. Uh, also today, Kaylee McEwen and Emily Seabom will be in the 100 metres backstroke final and Mitch Lark will be in the men's 100-metre backstroke finals. And the Opals women's basketball team will kick off their campaign today as well. And Jessica Fox, now I caught a bit of her on the weekend. Hopefully she'll make it to the final of the canoe slalom later today. Surfing quarters, the women's triathlon and a whole lot more of lockdown entertainment on your screens today. Now we're saying bye to you, Tom, and Katrina Blouse is going to jump in as we investigate whether Trump could make a comeback. I am not the one trying to undermine American democracy. 
I'm the one that's trying to save it. Donald Trump is back campaigning on a stage in North Carolina. A number, a year that I look very much forward to, 2024. He's back. Donald Trump has recently returned to the spotlight to declare the Republican Party will be back in Congress and the White House in August. But with the next election due in 2024 and all avenues of appeal closed to Donald Trump, it's not really clear how he thinks this will happen. Yeah, political watchers in the US believe the latest promise of an early return is more about keeping his name in the media and keeping supporters motivated ahead of a potential bid for re-election in 2024. But where wondering, is that even possible? Are there any legal hurdles that could stop him returning to the White House? And does he still have support among Republicans and more importantly, voters? The man to help us answer these questions is Ron Alving, a senior editor and correspondent in Washington for NPR News. He's also a lecturer in the School of Public Affairs at American University. Ron, thanks so much for joining us. Donald Trump returned to the spotlight with that landmark speech where he talked a big talk. He flirted with the idea of an early comeback. Is this even possible? It's not likely at all. In fact, it's quite impossible. There is no constitutional avenue, there is no legal course by which he could return to office uh, anytime soon. Uh, He has actually put a deadline on this and said that he expects to be back in August. And some of his other supporters have picked up on this as well, talking about him suddenly being restored to office in August. And I do take seriously some aspects of uh, what the former president is talking about here, but there is simply no way for him to be restored to office, even if he continues his uh, insistence that he won the election. Uh, All the evidence is to the contrary. All court decisions have been to the contrary. Uh, These audits, as they are sometimes called, that are being held uh, locally or in one particular state, uh, have no legal standing and uh, would not be persuasive to any of the courts or any of the other points of assessment uh, that would be necessary for him to be restored. So this is a way of rallying his troops around him during his uh, period of uh, temporary uh, private citizenship. So, Ron, he can't come back in the short term, but What about 2024? He still keeps this open as an option, as do many of his supporters. So are there any rules preventing him running for the presidency again? Not at all. He's quite free to run again as many times as he likes. There actually was an American president who was defeated for re-election back in the 1890s and came back to be re-elected after four years. So uh, he actually got his two terms non-sequentially, But that's the only example of that, and it was an extraordinary case. That, of course, is a potential comeback avenue for the former president. But uh, that is not what he's been promising of late. He's been quite cagey about 2024 while insisting he's going to be reinstated more in the immediate term. So I believe that that, and just in giving my opinion and assessment of that, I believe that that has to do with his need to keep his supporters close and to keep their hopes high and uh, also to continue to solicit their financial support. Donald Trump and his children and many organizations associated with them are continuously sending out 
solicitations for donations in one form and another and in all kinds of different sizes. And it appears to be part of a coordinated campaign. There are some rules, as you touched on there, about uh, who can be president. And uh, one of them is, of course, if you've been impeached, but we know that he was acquitted from that Senate impeachment trial. Can you talk us through some of the other limits about who can actually run for the presidency? And this might sound silly, but for an Australian audience, is there an upper age limit? There is no upper age limit. And in fact, we have at the present moment the oldest president we've ever had in Joe Biden uh, at the age of 78. Uh, And when he was running against Donald Trump, it was really quite an interesting contest between two people at more or less the the, the far end of uh, our spectrum of presidential ages. So age is no barrier. What about money? It's really expensive to run for president. Do you reckon, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that they're soliciting for donations, but my gosh, how much do you think it would cost? The price for running for president really has become, at this juncture, uh, a billion or a more than billion dollar proposition. But that is not money that comes directly from the candidate. Donald wow. Trump has advertised himself as a billionaire, for many years, uh, putting himself forward as a billionaire businessman. We've never actually seen his tax returns. We don't actually know how much money he makes or how much money he has, but he has purported to be a billionaire for a very long period of time. Now, that doesn't mean he spent his own money to be elected president. In fact, he shied away from spending very much of his own money at all, both in the 2016 and in the 2020 campaigns. Uh, That was a complaint on the part of some of his backers that he wasn't willing to put more of his own cash into the campaign at certain points. But he's always been able to raise it from someone else. And let's face it, in 2016, he got a tremendous free ride from many of us in the media who covered him constantly. He didn't have to buy ads because he was on television almost all the time. (laughs) And and so he benefited from that. I, I saw one estimate that he had had something like $2 billion in free advertising just from all the news coverage that he got in 2015 and 2016. But the other costs that don't necessarily come from the candidate himself have to do with buying television time, uh, have to do with building a very large campaign organization, and uh, have to do with just maintaining all of those other presences that you have to have in the media, including social media. So it has become this enormous price tag to really be competitive all the way up to the White House you're talking about somebody who can, in one way or another, leverage something in the neighborhood of a billion dollars or more. That's rather incredible. It makes it more difficult when you keep getting kicked off social media too. But (laughs) I wanted to ask, does he remain popular within the Republican Party? We saw a lot of his colleagues speak out against him in those final days. And how does that compare to the Republican supporters? Do they still hold a flame for Donald Trump? They do. In the main, the Republican Party is still dominated by the personality and the personal politics of Donald Trump and the support that he had in the two times he ran for president. He has, in a very real sense, taken over the spirit of the Republican Party. Now, that hasn't necessarily become a permanent change in the Republican Party, but there is a far more populist sense about what the Republican Party stands for, about the kinds of issues that it cares most about. And that has largely come from 
the ranks, if you will, of the Republican Party, largely from the more southern states, largely from the more religiously traditional voters within the Republican Party, both Roman Catholics in some cases, but most particularly white Protestants, white evangelical Protestants. And those people converted, as it were, uh, to Donald Trump, even though he is not a particularly religious man and, and not really a person who has featured religious faith in his life, that group within the Republican Party became strong supporters of Donald Trump. Some of that had to do with social issues, but much of it also seems to have related to his common man appeal. And much of that particular population within the Republican Party really responded to his rallies, uh, responded to a lot of his uh, rhetoric, and, uh, and just seemed to overall put more confidence in him than in the more shall we say, elitist or upper crust Republicans that we had seen in the past, such as a, a Mitt Romney or a John McCain. Such ultimate irony, isn't it? How a billionaire can have common man appeal, <laughs> the ultimate uh, marketing triumph. Okay, so I want to know, if it's not Trump, then who? Which Republican candidates are posing the biggest threat to Trump? Which names are we going to hear more of in the next couple of years? There is one in particular who has been rising quite quickly, and he is the governor of Florida at the, the present moment. His name is Ron DeSantis, and uh, he is uh, someone who has not a long resume in politics, but did come to Congress for a short period of time and then ran for governor of Florida, something of an outsider candidate and very much a kind of uh, emulator of Donald Trump. Just finally, Ron, I wanted to ask, we're seeing Donald Trump desperate to keep his name out there and also doing fundraising. Could that be because maybe another member of the Trump family might want to put their hand up, as we've seen with Bushes and Kennedys and Clintons, keeping it in the family? Do you think that perhaps another Trump family member might run in 2024 or past that? Yes, I think that's quite possible. Donald Trump Jr. has shown some interest in that. Uh, of course, his daughter Ivanka Trump has generally been thought of as his favorite child, and she would have many assets that Donald Trump Jr. does not. But my strong suspicion is that um, Donald Trump is more concerned about the rival candidates who might be rising around him, who would be a bigger threat to him in 2024 than any of his children. And, and the other thing that he's worried about is uh, his legal exposures, uh, which are mounting. I mean, he has a number of exposures in terms of his business and some of the things that he did while he was president. And he did not try to pardon himself before he left office. So he is still vulnerable to criminal charges or certainly to civil cases. And some people believe that it's more about that that uh, he wants to keep the pot boiling with respect to his support from the Republican Party so as to hold prosecutors and uh, various lawsuit uh, filers at bay. So that may be as much a part of his thinking as trying to keep the field open for himself to run for another term as president in 2024. That was Ron Alving, a senior editor and correspondent in Washington for NPR News with all the goss on whether he'll make a comeback. Now, I don't know about you, Katrina, but one of the things that concerns me most, and I'm not being ageist here, is not necessarily his track record in office. If people want him there, that's their prerogative. Do we really need people in their 80s 
running the country. <laughs> Can't they just go and retire? I know that's what I want to be doing in my 80s. Perhaps in Florida, which seems to be shaping up <laughs> as, a, as a key battleground once again. But we could be definitely seeing more of Trump Jr. in the future, which... Um, who knows what sort of a thing that is? Is it a good thing or a bad thing, Annika? Listener.